This morning, I want to share something with you that I've really struggled with a lot in my own life. And it's been one of the things about Christianity that I really have struggled with the most. There's been anything that's made me question my own faith. It's been this topic. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through a series called Identity Theft. What happened to our God? That How have people changed our idea of God into something that he isn't? This question that's really plagued me throughout my life has been one that is a question of why. Why didn't he intervene and stop it? Why did the hurricane or the tornado or the fire pass by some houses and destroy others? Why do some people live with diseases while others live completely healthy lives? Is God not powerful enough to save people from disasters? Does he simply choose not to act? Why doesn't he do something? Some of you may know the story of the rabbi Harold Kushner whose son after he died from disease, wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. His son, who was a young boy, had progeria, which is a disease that basically accelerates, uh, exponentially accelerates aging. So his young son grew weak, bald, and wrinkled. I actually found some pictures, but I didn't want to put them up. After battling through this disease and his son's death, he came to the conclusion that although God loves us and hates to see us suffer, he's not powerful enough to fix those situations. He wants to, he just can't. He's as frustrated as we are, but can't do anything about it. And this made people feel better about it. Well, at least we know that God loves us. At least we know he's not just not acting. For if God was powerful enough to fix it and didn't, what would that say of God? Is God a cruel God that would stand by while his creation suffered? This has been the thing that has plagued me for years. Why doesn't God act when his people are suffering if he truly loves us? Doesn't he want to set the record straight on his reputation? Doesn't he want everyone to know that, yes, I do love you. Yes, I do. And I am powerful enough to come to your aid. Interestingly enough, God didn't even offer this explanation of himself when he had the chance. We all know the story of Job. Job suffered just as much as anyone ever has in the earth, and he came through it. He lost everything, his home, his family, all of his assets, everything gone, even his friends. But sometimes we forget that after God brought him through it, Job calls him out at the end. If you want to go in your Bibles to Job 38, there's some Bibles in front of you. You can actually see how God responds. He doesn't try to defend what Job is asking. He never apologizes for a lack of power like the rabbi Kushner suggests. In fact, this contains one of the most impressive descriptions of God's power that we have. He turns the questioning around on Job in chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? 
To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place that you may take it to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home? Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Well, it sounds like God's being a little sarcastic here. I don't know. But this lack of power that the rabbi was suggesting surely cannot be true. And God continues in chapter 40. Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. After God has finished speaking to Job in a whirlwind, I guess he responds the only way that someone can. Behold, I am vile. What answer shall I give you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I won't answer now. It's twice, but I won't proceed any further. And while this speech may have resolved Job's questions, his contentment was satisfied, it may not satisfy ours, although we didn't hear God speak to us in a whirlwind. Why doesn't God come to his people's aid? If he is powerful enough, why doesn't he come? I've heard people speak on this over the years. I've read some stuff on it. Like I said, it's been a thing that's really plagued me in my Christian walk. Pastor Chris Oberg calls it her favorite question. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I guess it is. It seems like when everyone has addressed this issue, they've given great explanations, parables, parallels to uh, our lives. But when I come out of it, I kind of scratch my head thinking, okay, now what was the answer though to my question? So I'm going to give you the, the, the answer. Why doesn't God intervene always when his people are suffering? The Bible gives no answer. The Bible gives no answer for why God doesn't come to the rescue of his people when they're hurting all the time. So if God doesn't give us an answer to this question, the question that's probably uh, just wearing on everybody's hearts, what does he tell us? What can he tell us? I've studied this topic. I may not know a lot about other topics. I've studied this one. I can tell you this. Although the Bible doesn't say why God doesn't always intervene and save his people when they're suffering, it does tell us this. When we suffer, God suffers. When we hurt, God hurts. There's an Adventist Review article from uh, June 11, 1992, entitled, When Bad Things Happen to God. It's a very interesting and insightful article written by a certain uh, Kenneth Curtis. I don't know if you guys know who that is. <laughs> Dashing. And there he is. Very good article. He remembers his professor noting one time, as important as it is to talk about why bad things happen to good people, what we really need to do sometimes is talk about why bad things happen to God. Bad things happen to God? Isn't God the all-powerful, all omnipotent everything of the universe? Isn't he above everything? Yes. But sometimes we forget God's relational side. 
the side that laughs when we're having a good time, that cries when we're hurting, and that experiences deep pain when we're suffering. But does he really know how much this life must hurt? Does he have any idea what we are going through? How could he? He's up in heaven, we're down here on earth. How could he really go on, uh, really, really understand? Every time the cries of his people go unanswered, it's just another question mark. How can he know? But he does know. Because he came among us. He was able to plan his own birth, and he chose to put himself in the muck and mire of humanity. He experienced all the joys, sorrows, and fears, and pain that we do. Even the description of him before he arrived in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 2 and 3 says he had no majesty or or beauty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Dorothy Sayers writes, For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. And he chose to take his own medicine. The fact that he has felt what we feel doesn't necessarily remove the pain from our lives, but it does show that God has not sat idly by and watched while we have suffered. He's experienced it too. He's the one that has wept Intensely, when his best friend, one of his closest friends, died. Many times when he was directly asked, he even healed the pain. Sometimes um, he, he broke age-old customs to do so. Like when he touched the hemorrhage woman, hemorrhaging woman to heal her, or the, the lepers that cried unclean that were the sign to stay away. I doubt the disciples wondered if God cared. All they had to do was look in Jesus' eyes. And he reacted to his own suffering the same way any of us would. He asked God to take it away. And when there was no other way, Jesus felt like God had abandoned him, just like sometimes we feel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, how does God feel about our pain? Where is he when it really hurts? What does he have to say? He didn't give us words or theories or explanations. He just gave us himself. With his arms outstretched on the cross, God was saying to everyone, he was shouting, I love you. In John 9, Jesus refutes the traditional explanation of suffering. His followers point to a man born blind. They ask, who sinned, this man or his parents? Really, they were wanting to know, why did he deserve this blindness? What did he do? Surely, if he's suffering, it must be because of some sin. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The disciples were looking backward, wanting to answer that same question that we're wanting to answer. Why? But Jesus points us forward. He points us forward, asking the question, 
to what result? To backward-looking questions of cause, the why questions, there are no definitive answers in the Bible. But Jesus directs our attention to our response. What will it be? What will, you, what will your literal response be today? We're in the midst of suffering right now. Ironically, I had this sermon topic planned out months in advance. Yet here we are with suffering all around us in our area. 23 fires have scorched 472,000 acres, about three-fourths the size of Rhode Island. Over 1,500 homes, I don't even know what the latest stat is, but have been destroyed. Not what are we going to do about it, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? Our conference, the Southeastern California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, has announced that many people have been stepping up and have been volunteering um, to the people that have been displaced, um, assisting the victims of the fire. They tell us that the best thing that we can do right now is give of our plenty to those who have lost everything. Can you imagine losing your entire house? Everything just totally gone. Driving back home today and it's not there. Just like that. No house to go back to. Where do you go from there? This morning we're going to take a special offering to help out with those victims. Uh, So if you feel impressed this morning to reach out to those who have been devastated by the disaster, the deacons will be collecting a special offering that will go to that. If you'd like to contribute later in the week too, please feel free to stop by the church office and we'll be able to take care of uh, your donations there. Also as a church, we've been asked by the Red Cross to step up and to come help with trash pickup at the Orange Show next Friday from 8 to 3. For more info on that, you can call the church or stop by this next week. What's your response going to be today? Instead of looking backwards to why, let's look forward with our response to what result. Please bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, I thank you not only for coming down to this earth for the purpose of dying for our sins, for being our replacement, for being our savior, but I also praise you especially right now for the fact that you have experienced what we've gone through, that you have hurt when we have hurt and that you have suffered when we have suffered just the same. Please help us to have perspective in times of suffering, to know that you do care, you love us above anything else. Please be with the firefighters that are still fighting fires. Please be with the people that have been displaced. Please bless the uh, rebuilding and all of the um, devastation. Please just transform it into something that glorifies you. Please work among this tragedy. And please impress upon us our proper response. In Jesus' name, amen.